We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all the information for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Andrew. He's the executive director for the Esports Innovation Center in Atlantic City. He's also the president of the Atlantic City Football Club. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Justin. How are you? Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm excited to be here. And so to start, introduce yourself. You know, tell us a little about you and your journey in video games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm currently the executive director of the Esports Innovation Center at Stockton University. And uh, we are a nonprofit that was created by the state of New Jersey in partnership with Stockton University. And our goal is is very broad, but essentially it's to uh, develop and, and help uh, build the ecosystem surrounding esports on multiple levels. That includes events, that includes workforce innovation. Um, so we work with a variety of different groups in the space, including K through 12 educational institutions, higher educational institutions, and private companies. Amazing. So, you know, what was the first game you played? Uh, first game I played as a kid, I mean, I go back as far as games go back. So I had an Atari uh, system. I remember playing, you know, uh, the earliest of earliest games. Um, I think uh, my my first real foray into competitive video gaming is I was a participant and uh, a regional finalist in the Nintendo World Championships, the first ever Nintendo World Championships. Wow, so- which uh, they were held at the Jacob Javits Convention Center when I was a kid, and uh, you played a combination of Mario Brothers, original, Rad Racer, and Tetris. And those three games combined score is what you were measured on. And I got all the way to the finals on the big stage, and I went up against the kid they made the movie, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Wizard, the movie The Wizard about. And I just remember doing very well in Mario and Rad Racer and then looking at him give me a look when Tetris was about to start and that uh-huh. look was something like you don't realize what you're about to get done to you and uh, <laughs> from that point forward that was the end of my uh, foray <laughs> because he destroyed me in Tetris and uh, I lost and he went on to win the whole thing in Orlando but the story of that Justin that I found amazing do you know what the prize was for him winning the Nintendo World Championships in Orlando that year was it like a gold? It was a gold cartridge, or was it like a subscription Nintendo? There was like money. That? There was an actual cash prize. It was ten thousand dollars. 
Wow. Right. So if you compare it to uh, Dota uh, 2's International, which the prize pool was something roughly between 40 and $45 million this last year. So when they say times have changed, uh, it's really incredible. And I look back at that event and, uh, you know, I was at the Jacob Javits Convention Center. It costs like 30 bucks to, to compete. And there were lines of kids around the block. Right. So I think at that moment I knew, oh, there's something to this. You know, uh, this uh, is the, the competition element of uh, uh, of gaming is something uh, very, very different. So, you know, it goes back with me from a passion standpoint as far back as uh, those competitions go. I know there was even stuff earlier than that. There was games in the 80s. And I, I spoke to a woman who was the first ever uh, champion of, of any video game tournament, as far as anybody knows. And I believe it was a Space Invaders game. Rebecca Hyman, right? Yeah, absolutely. And she told me, and I still find this hard to believe, as a young teenage girl, her parents put her on a bus from California to Florida by herself to compete in that tournament because they only gave her the money for one bus ticket. So they're like, sure, go ahead. 12-year-old daughter, take a bus (laughs) from California to Florida and get back safely so you could go play video games. So. Well, it sounds like you definitely were part of the history. This is all kind of covered in my book, so it's amazing to hear someone who's a contestant at, you know, as you mentioned, the 1990 Nintendo World Championships, which kind of set the stage and was, I kind of, you know, referred to as like a glimpse into what this could be. Like you said, you have hundreds of kids lined up at the same place where New York Comic Con and, you know, where I took the New York bar and where all these huge, the car show, all these huge things are. And, hey, you have Nintendo filling this in the 1990s and you know parents probably didn't know what was happening oh then. no and and we have to remember that was a world where there was no measurement online of your capabilities as a player right so if that tournament wasn't there you wouldn't know who the best anything is in any event because there was no way to measure those things so um you know that brought full circle the focus that this is really more of a uh, a culture phenomenon than just simply uh, a competition you know people wanted to interact with the other people that play this game and they wanted to see and 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 meet those people and and build those bonds and that really in my mind is a, a lot about what the quote esports or video game communities which i really believe are one and the same what that represents it is a very community focused group um with different you know niches inside that group right every game every title has its own uh its own fandom its own fan base its own lore its own history its own culture surrounding it's it own vernacular right there's different right, words 100%. So. absolutely there there are people who could speak to you in acronyms and have full conversations and the outside world would have no idea what they're talking about you know uh, go look at the meme culture online related to video games or or various uh, genres like you know anime or things like that you could speak in your own language but that's really important because it, it gives people an opportunity to bond over those things and to build social relationships. Um, and, and that's a big part of what we stress uh, too, especially on the K through 12 education side is esports represents a chance for a lot of people who are not part of the traditional sports community athletically to, to benefit from some of the wonderful aspects of that community, specifically leadership, teamwork, uh, camaraderie, um, goal setting and and, uh, uh, and and being able to achieve as a group and, and all of those things um, 
I, I think you get a benefit out of athletics, out of traditional athletics, but traditional athletics are not for everybody. Um, and, and I think you have this beautiful opportunity to use esports as a way to progress uh, people's ability to interact and, and to socialize and to uh, feel school spirit, team spirit. Um, and, and I think that that's uh, what I've liked seeing the most develop as far as the uh, the change in the industry. You know, before COVID, we didn't really have a very robust uh, high school esports uh, system. But now with Garden State Esports taking the lead in New Jersey, I think there's over 60% participation in, in K-12 institutions, uh, which is remarkable. And, and more being added every single day. I've I've personally helped form multiple esports teams in the Atlantic City community. And uh, that's it's just wonderful to see that aspect. I, one story I like uh, repeating is last year, and this was really kind of an aha moment. I've had a couple of them since I've taken this job, but uh, we were working with the Atlantic City Youth Services uh, kids, and, and one of their best Rocket League players uh, came in looking very distraught uh, to practice. And somebody was like, what's wrong? He's like, well, I made varsity baseball, so I can't play Rocket League as much. I'm only going to be available one day a week for, for practice. And he was bummed out. And everybody was like, dude, congratulations. You made varsity baseball as a freshman. That's incredible. He's like, yeah, but Rocket League. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's like we, we live in, in a, a very interesting time. You know, another story I always tell is the South Korean national soccer team, uh, you know, football team. Everywhere, every, everywhere in the free world calls it football. We call it soccer. I, I could get it. Soccer that. to me. So, you know, I grew yeah, up in soccer, know. right? <laughs> No, football to me. Anyway, so uh, so the the national team in South Korea had the StarCraft team come in to give them a motivational speech uh, before a World Cup game. So the heroes that the 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 icons of virtually every sport are the soccer stars, but the soccer stars look up to the esports players in the, in that country. So uh, it it shows you the popularity, the growth, the diversity the ability to um, hit different pockets and uh, uh, just really do great things. You know, I uh, recently spoke to a gentleman named Larry Lieberman uh, who works with an organization uh, that, that does kids uh, that works with kids with MS uh, in gaming. And if you saw what it does for that group uh, of, of people, it's unbelievable. And, And that's really the beauty that I see in, you know, competitive gaming and and being able to build those communities because it does uh, allow for people with disadvantages that would never have that opportunity to get to participate and to feel that that joy and that that teamwork and all of that wonderful stuff that comes with traditional sports. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most exciting things. It gives everyone the opportunity. The game is the great equalizer, right? It's everyone is kind of the same. The game levels the playing field. And yep, 100%. And, you know, obviously the esports industry, like every other industry, has its issues and challenges and, and things that it's got to deal with. But, you know, the goal for, for the EIC is very much to shine a light on the positives, right? To focus <laughs> on the things that we are doing right and to make sure that there's curriculum that comes along with this passion that's the other thing we want to train esports players to have jobs that are going to be needed in the future uh not only of this industry but really of uh, of the overall media industry so we try to focus on transferable skills and uh, things you could take with you to a variety of different industries i mean look at yourself justin you're an esports enthusiast but you're an attorney right so you have developed your skills in such a way where 
your expertise can can be multifaceted and, and can go across uh, uh, different different areas. So I think that that's very important. We want to cross train our players on learning things like streaming and uh, audio engineering and video engineering and editing and game creation and and um, you know coding and all of these different elements that go into the production. Uh, and marketing of a video game, those are all very transferable skills. And, you know, we're housed at Stockton University right here on the Atlantic City Boardwalk. Uh, and Stockton is one of the first schools in uh, the country to have an esports business major. And people are like, well, what is that? Kids playing video games all day? And I laughed because it, it couldn't be farther from the truth. There's no element of the entire program that has any actual gameplay component, right? Uh, but they will teach you all of the different elements of running events and, and how to uh, prepare to market a game and, and the strategies behind um, choosing what genre to get into and how to do profitability studies and how to build pitch decks. And all of these things are, are meaningful regardless of what business or industry you get to be part of. And uh, the way I always uh, use it as an analogy is uh, if you go to one of the finest schools in the country for sports management, right, which used to not be a thing until it was a huge thing, right? It's now a very respected major and one that a lot of leagues around the country actually recruit out of. Your expectation isn't to be a professional athlete, right? Right. You're not going to the batting cages and practicing. Yeah. You, you don't go to Villanova Sports Management School and say, oh, when I graduate, I get to be the quarterback of the Eagles. Uh, you want a job in the industry. You want to work for the NFL, work for the Eagles, work in minor league football, work for a high school team, work for a college program. You want to get the skills necessary. So that's the same goal we have in terms of matching this education uh, with the opportunity. We want to make sure that if you have a passion for playing esports, even if you're on a competitive esports team in college, you're building skills and making connections in the business uh, to get you a job when you graduate. And, you know, we have some remarkable projects uh, getting ready to get going in Atlantic City that we hope will bring a lot of those jobs to the area uh, and those experiences. So that's ultimately what we're focused on building. There's the community element. There's all of that wonderful, positive stuff. But at the end of the day, we're going to be measured uh, on a success level based on how many jobs we create for these programs. And And that's really what it comes down to. If New Jersey can become a workforce leader in the esports space it benefits everybody amazing so tell us a little bit about the actual center i know you mentioned mentioned it's on the board work down in atlantic city but what are the capabilities of it yeah absolutely so um we actually uh have been here a little bit less than um two years uh but our equipment and uh the build out really started in june so we're sponsored by a group of private companies that are official members of the EIC. So they start with a group called SHI, uh, which is one of the largest resellers of uh, uh, commercial uh, uh, technology and equipment in, in the world. They are the naming rights holder for Rutgers uh, football stadium, SHI stadium. Um, and they work with amazing companies, uh, two of which are Lenovo and Intel, uh, who are also members of the EIC. So, between those three groups, uh, they've contributed uh, an extraordinary amount of uh, technology to the center. So we currently have uh, 24 uh, units uh, set up. And units, I mean full PCs with state-of-the-art peripherals and monitors and headsets, etc. Uh, we also have about 10 other gaming stations that consist of Switches or Xboxes or 
um, you know, PS5s. We have uh, uh, both uh, PlayStation VR setups in here as well. Um, and then we have, you know, a bunch of additional peripheral uh, components. And, and what we use the center for is a variety of things, both educational and competition. We hosted the North to Shore uh, eSports showdown in June. We plan on doing that again uh, as a partnership with uh, North to Shore, uh, which is a huge festival that takes place in uh, Newark Asbury Park in Atlantic City. Uh, and we had 300 kids in 16 different regional schools participating in here uh, in a Rocket League and Super Smash tournament. So um, hosting events is is definitely something we do, but we also do uh, education for youth organizations four days a week. So City of Atlantic City Youth Services, Boys and Girls Club. Um, we've done work with Police Activities League in the past, uh, groups like that. Um, we have Charter School that we're doing work with as well. Uh, the, the students at uh, Stockton University, part of their esports programs, we work with them. Uh, they come in here and practice uh, on, on different times because we have the Galloway campus, which has a lab and its own uh, group out there. And the Atlantic City campus, which doesn't currently have an esports lab and is relatively new, so this sort of acts as the de facto esports lab for that group. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, a little bit about the center, and uh, we certainly we host uh, roundtables and events and and uh, industry uh, gatherings as well. We'll be working with uh, uh, Microsoft on one coming up in a couple of weeks. So you know, those are um, uh, really really. Uh, the, the functions of, of what the center is. Uh, and then we work in the community uh, just for general outreach to try to build business relationships between groups and attract companies to New Jersey through the uh, tax incentive programs that the state has created and, you know, get the ball rolling that way. Is the center open to just, you know, walk-ins or, or is nope. this, okay. It so is it's not. all uh, we were programming only. Uh, so, you know, but certainly if you want a tour or something like that, you're welcome to reach out. Um, and then, you know, uh, check EIC.GG or esportsnj.org, um, which is actually the preferred URL for you to go to esportsnj.org. And uh, we usually list our events and what we do there. Uh, we do um, in the summer and holidays, we're going to be starting camps uh, okay. and stuff for, for younger kids as well. So that'll be uh, open to the public for registration and we'll have uh, various partner companies uh, with that. Amazing. So definitely make sure to check that out. I, I went down to the center myself. It's definitely amazing. And the view is not too shabby. So, you know, I don't get the, it from the cubicle I'm in, but that's okay. Well, when you go out into the hall, right? When you go out into the room, you see. It's true. I can go out and get that view uh, on demand. So I'm very blessed for that. So in addition, we mentioned that you're also involved in the traditional sports world as the president of a professional soccer or football club, as they say, across the pond. So what similarities do you see between the esports and the sports world from, you know, a business side? Yeah, it's actually how I got into esports on a professional level. So I, I started with my business partner, Nick Bellotta, Atlantic City Football Club in 2017. Our first season was 2018, but our first uh, press conference and, and all that stuff was 2017. Um, and right away, one of the moves we made was to launch an esports team uh, that competed in FIFA. Um, through the Atlantic City FC brand. At that time, there was a, a game mode in, in the FIFA game that allowed for full team play 11v11, which was really quite remarkable. And I found that to be much more interesting uh, than, uh, than a traditional 1v1 uh, FIFA contest. 
So we we worked with the group and we assembled the club the same way we would have with the soccer team and found our digital left winger and our digital and our striker, striker and right. uh, all of those different things. And uh, it was remarkable. First season, we were getting, I don't know, five to six hundred uh, people at a game at an actual game. And we were getting five to six thousand watching a stream of a uh. fake team playing a digital game. So. Uh, you know, uh, I, I say this to everybody who will listen. If you want to know what the power of esports is at its core, what is this really about? It's about viewership. You have people that are tuned in to watch this and to participate. And look no further than Stockton University. They have a soccer team. That's their best athletics team. Had, they had a game against Rowan University, a local state rival that drew about three or 4,000 people live. That was the most attended Stockton sports event ever. In, in the school's history, they finished second at DreamHack in Rocket League Worlds, right? 155,000 concurrent viewers <laughs> watching that. So if you're, you know, an athletics director, or you're trying to say, oh, where should we put our money in advertising? My intern came from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, went to private school in Ohio and chose Stockton because of the Rocket League team. He's a professional Rocket League player for NRG. So he wanted to come to Stockton strictly because of the the culture they have built around esports and and the opportunity for him to to hook into that. So I, I think that it's a very um, it's very profound in terms of this link. And then when it comes to traditional athletics, I mean, it, it just couldn't be any clearer. You you see these teams and and they really rely on traditional marketing methodology as as a professional sports team would. Uh, and I completely see that parallel. I. I think um, one of the things esports teams have going for them that traditional athletics do not is they're not regionalized. You could have teams that are global brands like, you know, uh, FaZe Clan and, and, and Cloud9 uh, and all these different groups. And, and they're not they're not the Los Angeles FaZe Clan or, you know, or Des Moines, Iowa FaZe Clan. It's FaZe Clan. You could be a fan of them anywhere in the world. Um, and, and I think that that makes esports a little bit different, but also a little bit more appealing. But it does hurt in terms of the live attendance, right? You don't have FaZe Clan Arena in L.A. and everybody shows up 42 times a year to watch them play and, you know, drops 150 bucks a ticket. So it, th- there's some uh, crossover, but there's also a lot of uh, dissimilar aspects to it. So I think you got to kind of learn... Um, what applies and what doesn't apply. And some of these lessons are, are unfortunately being learned the hard way. <laughs> you so know, let's through... talk about one of those lessons. I think you, yeah. you brought up something that, um, so obviously the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty League tried to take these traditional global brands and localize them, try to have New York, Miami, Dallas, et cetera. And, yep. you know, to say that it was a failure, you know, would be an understatement. Talk. Exactly. You know, they, supposedly there's hundreds of millions from buy-ins to player salaries to all these things. Was that where the issue was? Was the trying to localize it or was yeah. it? Yeah, it's, was... it's a combination of, I mean, it really was the classic example of putting a square peg into a round hole, right? For starters, the traditional revenue model for athletics is based almost exclusively on ticket sales or television revenue, right? Sponsorship plays a third element to that for sure, for sure. But if you go look at the history of professional sports, the two things that that pay all of these salaries and these absorbent fees uh, that are created is uh, the, the, the 
television rights and, and what you get and ticket sales. So none of these teams have arenas, quote unquote. I know Washington tried and whatever, but they certainly right. Philadelphia can't build... tried and pivoted. Right. But you can't build an arena and, and expect that you're going to be able to do a 30 game season and charge fan 30 bucks a pop. And they're going to fill it every time to watch. And second of all, it's just like, that's the wrong sport or that's the wrong title, right? Counter-Strike is a good game. I enjoy it, but it's just the wrong title to try to do that. So to have that kind of league, like I could maybe see Rocket League working more like that, right? Because it feels more like a sport. Counter-Strike Go does not feel like a sport. It feels like war. (laughs) You know what I mean? Overwatch, all these kind of first Overwatch, all of them. Uh, see, uh, the, whichever league you're from an FPS or, or anything like that, it's just it's not it's not the right type of title to match up with that concept, in, in my opinion. Um, I think it might have worked better for a uh, a game like Rocket League and, and for cer- certain titles. And I certainly think that, you know, the NBA 2K leagues or MLB The Show or Madden, those are very easy to understand in terms of let's have a player represent this franchise Mm-hmm. And we'll have a digital version of the standard game. So, um, but but I think that's why those didn't work. And then again, all of the the buy-ins and and the the even the salaries, it was completely arbitrary. None of that was based on what the industry was dictating. It was literally picked out of thin air. Yeah, six million bucks for a franchise. You going to pay it? Great, right? So uh, you know, a lot of these um, millionaire owners, uh, or even in most cases billionaire owners, it's a tax write-off. If you lose that money, you were going to pay it to the government anyway. You might as well do something with it, so you don't care. Um, but in terms of long-term sustainability, that's that's a non-starter. So, you know, I think you need to build leagues with with grassroots uh, mentality, and you have to have sound economic principles that guide uh, these these ideas. I mean, you know, one of the things about Dota is their prize pool is gigantic, but it's organic. It's created based on participation from the players playing the game. So I think you need more of that. You need more of a, uh, the game gets created. It's There's the huge amateur side, and the amateur side pushes into the professional side, right? So you'll start to see those things be be reformed. But you got the same dot-com hype around esports that existed around the dot-coms of the 90s, which I lived through. And what it is, is a lot of uh, sizzle and no stake behind it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, venture capitalists or... Uh, investors will say, okay, well, that's great. I invested all this money because of the hype, but where's the revenue? And where's the business model that's going to support this? So you might have a lot of guys that that first time around, they were willing to give it a whirl, and next time around, they will not. So that's where you get this uh, th- this massive contraction of the industry and these, you know, uh, the, the, the winter. winter. Yeah, exactly. the winter, exactly. Um, but, but really, winter. it's just people paying attention to... Uh, to the basic economics behind it and saying, oh, yeah, that's right. There's no revenue here. Uh, why mm-hmm. didn't we not realize that to begin with? Why are we paying these kids, you know, $2 million or six figures plus? And there's no way to do that. Like you like if you have Steph Curry, you're going to sell a zillion jerseys. You're going to have these primetime gains on NBA, TNT, ABC. Yeah. Like you're going to fill arenas both home and away. Like, their sizzle doesn't really translate right now in North America. Like you said, not I mean, at all. It, it might Korea. be for their niche audience, but certainly not large enough to, uh, to, to, to warrant the kind of major 
costs that were being thrown at those things. And again, the the overall model doesn't add up because if you're going to have you know, the New England, uh, I forgot what the team was called. Boston even. Uprising. Yeah, right, right. But then you need to figure out how you're going to build a fan base for that group and, and engage them and uh, have events for them and do all those things. And, like, none of those groups did that. So Yeah, or not did it well. They they did little watch parties at local bars. Try, you know, it, it, it was a very facial effort. You, you put the cart before the horse. You need that environment. You know, that's it's funny because we were talking about traditional sports in Atlantic City FC. And, and that's really what I learned about um, the sporting business when it comes to why I chose this and, and uh, soccer or football. It's because in that sport, you could start at the bottom and work your way up. Right. I mean, at least in the rest of the world, we don't really have that here because we don't have promotion and relegation. But uh, there there is something to the fact that. You can start an organization at the lowest levels in soccer, even professional or semi-professional, and then aspire to go further. Like I'll uh, give you two examples. I the first year we were in um, our current league, the NPSL, in 2018, there were two teams: Chattanooga FC and uh, Detroit City FC, right? Uh, and they were playing in this same league, summer league, four months a year, shortened seasons. You don't pay your players, etc. Detroit City was drawing 6,500 fans a game for this league. They took over their own stadium. Um, they, they did all these things incredibly right. You fast forward to 2024, they're playing in the USL Championship now. Fully professional everything. Every game broadcast on ESPN. Um, you know, a 30-person staff that works for their team. A team store. Uh, you know, that evolution started here and then grew and and it grew with a lot of momentum and support. Um, Chattanooga is about to make the move to major league soccer next. So again, a team starting at what I would call single a of soccer. If you look at it like baseball and moving into triple a of soccer, that's possible for, for a team like Atlantic city, but we needed to start at, you know, square one um, and build that momentum and that fan base organically and not uh, falsely. And, and I think that that's the same lesson that needs to be learned for these leagues. Like you come with the approach of we're going to build an organic fan base and we're going to build interest in this league and we're going to do everything uh, right in terms of our fan experience and the player experience, et cetera, then the money will come. If you do it the reverse and be like, we're going to throw all this money at the top, fans be damned, fan experience be damned, fan participation be damned, it's going to blow up in your face. Right. You have to kind of, especially in these kind of areas, this is not the thing that you've grown up with football or basketball, the, you know, nope. the camps, the last, this is K through 12. This is all just developing. There's not the little league legal legends that there's going to be in every single town across the country. It's sprouting up, but it's not the way little league is in every country, you know, every town across America. Right. right. I, I think it's uh, your, your point. Um, is is well taken it's essentially that they everyone knows baseball football basketball like we know that we've grown up with it we don't know uh call of duty or counter strike go or 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 you yeah, know was that overwatch we don't know I, those things if, no if you're idea. a fan of it you know it but it's not like the general average person like if i talk to anyone on the street and be like how about those eagles Right. Somebody's going to say something back to me no matter what. But if I go, how, uh, how, what was the Philadelphia team that moved to South Korea? Fusion. Uh, 
Yeah. How about those fusion crickets? <laughs> so, you, you know, it's it's an education issue. You're, you're putting the cart before the horse. But rest assured, the future, um, I do think there is a model for a hometown club. But what I like is more the European model where you have like a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, their sporting clubs. You know, my favorite one is FC St. Pauli, FC St. Pauli in, in uh, the, the red light district of uh, Hamburg, Germany, right, um, has 21 teams that compete under it. So their soccer team is the most famous, but they have a fencing team and they have a chess team and they have a their sports club. Mm-hmm. So the people all come into their uh, into their world to, yes, get a little starstruck with the soccer players, but that's just a small part of it, right? And I think those types of sporting clubs that are regional and, and local could very well be part of the future of esports, where you have, you know, a local esports club that also has multiple teams competing. Um, and again, it could be some sort of hybrid of pro, amateur pro, um, which which you see very very routinely. Yeah, I mean definitely. So um, I guess kind of looking at the e, you know, we guys are at the esports innovation center. What's some of the future work that you're looking on? How are you trying to help New Jersey? Yeah, um, so we have a, a ton of projects that we're engaged in, but we're trying to attract uh, top-level companies to Atlantic City. Um, we have a film and tax credit in the state of New Jersey that's the most robust in the entire United States. It's a 35% tax credit in the southern part of the state, 30% in the north part of the state. Uh, my first act as uh, executive director of the EIC was to get the uh, Attorney General of the State of New Jersey to include video game production companies into that tax credit. So we're actively uh, working on trying to let the industry know that that exists uh, and that that can be applied for. And that if you want to build a video game studio in New Jersey, uh, there's a lot of incentive to do that. So we're hoping to attract these jobs here. Uh, we're working on experience based builds in Atlantic City specifically with some partner venues. I uh, can't really talk too much about that, but that's something that's coming. And uh, we want to make Atlantic City a esports destination, both for major events, but also for uh, unique experiences, uh, whether that's VR, AR, uh, tournaments, um, amateur tournaments, college tournaments, variety of different things that are coming through here. So obviously being in AC, we can't not but talk about the casinos and the gambling and wagering. Sure. and. How is that kind of all involved in it? Is it a key I think piece? that's a big, uh, a big future component of it. You know, in Asia and Europe, uh, betting on esports and and head to head play for money is a as a massive um, revenue stream for a lot of companies. And I think uh, New Jersey is poised to benefit from that. So I do see a world where every casino in Atlantic City eventually has an esports room, like a poker room, and on any given night they could be holding a. Uh, you know, Fortnite tournament for a thousand dollars, or a Madden tournament for five hundred bucks, or uh, any kind of experience the same way a poker room would draw you in for you know Sunday night ten thousand dollar tournament. The same principles can be applied for casinos to attract uh, patrons in. So I see that uh, starting to develop and happening. There's some technical limitations that are currently in uh, existence that that I think are prohibitive from that being a full reality, but they're coming around. And a lot of that is just having the publishers and uh, the rights holders be part of that process, right? So, you know, an EA would need to give you the right to be able to do those types of tournaments and, and that type of thing. Um, but I, I feel like that's the next iteration. And then just betting on esports tournaments on a global scale in New Jersey is already legal. Uh, so getting, uh, you know, casino books, uh, groups like DraftKings and FanDuel's to expand their 
esports offerings is is another priority. Um, but you know, I would say that it plays a big role in the future of Atlantic City, but not the biggest role. I feel like the event side and the attraction side and the experience side is more about what we're shooting for. But I do think the uh, the betting side of this is going to have uh, a profound effect eventually. So trying to get the League of Legends championships and these big tournaments in AC for the. Absolutely. We have Boardwalk Hall, which has uh, over 15,000 seat capacity. We have uh, ACX1 uh, coming on board, which is uh, the former peer at Caesars, which is going to be an incredible, uh, maybe the best in the entire country in terms of a niche uh, esports uh, venue. Um, and, and we're you know working hard to make that uh, a reality. Amazing. So definitely, hopefully there's going to be some more events down there as I know you guys have some great stuff going on. So what's advice you have for anyone trying to work in the esports and video game business? Um, I, I've thought about this a lot because I get this question a, a pretty fair amount. This is more of advice for anybody who's a student. You have one opportunity in your entire life while you're a student to be a student and to be judged only as being a student. Once you take any job, and you're done with being a student, you're defined by that job from that point forward. But while you're a student, you can do anything, ask for anything, and assume anything. Call the CEO of your favorite company. Be relentless. Get yourself a job. Get yourself in uh, the door of a great company that you want to work for and work your way up. While you're a student, those things are always possible. The second you're not a student, they're not. So spend that time wisely. Really take advantage of it, whether you're in high school or you're in college. Get meaningful internships every single summer. Do not waste your summers. You know, I went to Syracuse University with, um, I think, 16 credits already accumulated. I had taken classes at Penn State, took classes at University of Pennsylvania. I was able to transfer those credits from summer programs I did in high school. That let me take only classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays my freshman year, right? So I had five days a week. I worked for residential networking. I made money on the side. I, I was an entrepreneur. I developed my, I started my first business when I was 18 years old. And I did that because I had the time as a student to be curious and to um, be risky, you know, and, and that's the time to do those things, to work them out and to figure it out and be bold, you know, but the bolder you are as a student, not, there's no consequences for that. You can write a stupid email to the CEO of a con of a company and be like, I'm a student at this school and I really care about your game. And what can I do to be part of your industry? Do that the day you graduate. Doesn't, doesn't work. So do it while you're a student, take advantage of that time um, and be bold, but don't waste your, your quote downtime being unproductive in the industry. If you really care about being part of it, even if that means just streaming and doing more content creation or building your own brand, great, but don't waste your time. I think that's amazing advice, and I, I kind of took a similar path to it, and I think that's similar to the way I kind of give it, where it's like, hey, if you want to be one of these industries, whether it's music, sports, gaming, like, your resume needs to look like that. Like, if you looked at my resume coming out of college during middle, like, I got interviews with places because they looked at my resume, and like, how could someone that's going to be a junior in college have it, have this it's like because every single semester i did something every single summer i did something and at livingston high school i started my high school radio station i wrote the head uh guy's name was rob i can't remember his last name i'm blanking on it but some uh, it'll probably come to me he was the new jersey nets uh head of uh, uh of uh, media credentials 
And I said, hey, got this high school radio station. I'd like to cover the New Jersey Nets as a uh, as a media member. I was 15 years old. I got granted credentials, the youngest NBA credentials ever granted. I went to the Nets locker room with my crew, my buddy Jeff Mayer and and our production uh, uh, guy, Sean uh, Luddy. And we interviewed Derek Coleman and Jason Kidd and all of these players as 15-year-olds. When I went to Syracuse University and I had to submit my body of work as a as a student to try to get into Newhouse, the best communication school in the country, one of the things I did was the fact that, hey, I was the youngest credentialed New Jersey Nets uh, or, or youngest credentialed media person in history. That just came from being stupid enough to ask. John Mertz, that was his name, John Mertz. The the former uh, I knew it would come to me in my head, not Rob John Mertz. So wonderful man, and and at that stage, you know that guy's got a career, or whatever. But nobody's going to give him crap for letting a kid from high school come right on try the to, to you know. I came in professional. They you know everybody they they brief you, they talk to you, and and say, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what you do. You ask, you you go out, whatever. That was invaluable because when I got to Syracuse, I already felt like I. I belonged. I understood the rules. I understood, you know, so I started working at WJPZ radio, 88.5 WJPZ in Syracuse, New York, you know, right out of the gate. And and I was ready to go do that. I just realized I was going to be spending a, a lot of time in Boise, Idaho, doing morning updates for the first five years of my life. So I decided to start a business instead. So my first company, which uh, was uh, live recordings of, of, uh, Basically, we developed a system to record a band and produce an instant CD of that band for sale as you walked out of the venue uh, that you were in. And this was the late 90s, early 2000s when digital didn't take over the world. So I did that based on an idea, and I got to start working with some of my uh, favorite bands growing up, like the Allman Brothers and and uh, groups. But we recorded over 500 bands in uh, in a span of over a decade. So like that was my first business. Um, and then that gave me enough uh, leverage to to get into everything else that I did. So, you know, but I got that just by being dumb enough to to go after it and ask and, and not really think too hard about it. So while you're young, spend that time and do it. Definitely. Everyone listen to this man. He knows what he is saying. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming space? Um, I would say the, the actual impact I can see us making on, on kids in this area, you know, earlier last year, I was talking to a couple of the kids that were here from boys and girls club playing Madden. And, uh, I was like, Oh, did you guys watch hard knocks? You know, it was the, when before Aaron Rodgers blew out his, uh, Achilles and, and, and it's like, you know, and one of them turned to me, he's like, we don't have a TV. And it just hit me like, Oh. You know, here I am, like, so unbelievably ignorant and privileged and like kids that are in here. This is the time they get to be in front of any technology. Right. So what it means to them for these three hours or two hours is like, yeah, you know, you and I can go home and we can watch whatever we want or play whatever we want or game whenever we want. Some kids in Atlantic City, this is their only opportunity. So I've made it a point to reach out to those kids and be like, listen, you're I'm going to work with you from you, you might be 14. So you graduate, we're going to figure out this thing that you want to do. And we're going to get you the skills necessary to a get you into college. And then when you get done with college, you will have a job and you will be able to buy yourself a TV one day. And like, you know, if we can make that impact on a local level, community by community with kids who are not part of these other extracurricular activities and they get that benefit, that massive benefit from being part of the center and the activities that we produce and 
develop the skills to graduate high school with with things that will not only help them uh, in college, but also help get them employed, then I've changed Atlantic City, right? That's that's real change to me. It's like you get these kids those opportunities and you break cycles of poverty and you break cycles of uh, uh, education going awry and, and you can really, really make a difference. So like, you know, I encourage everybody out there, if you're especially if you're a gamer and what have you, get involved in local groups and bring that to them, um, you know start programs, go start initiatives. There's nonprofits out there all over the place that will help you. If you're a woman in gaming or, or a young lady in gaming, go check out Gamehurst. I mean, they're one of the best organizations on the planet. They, they're they so encouraging and inclusive and like you'll find your family. And, and that's what I, what I love about it. Like go out there and look, you'll find your family. Definitely, you know, shout out to the game hers. We're definitely big fans of them. So glad to hear that you guys are down with them. So what's oh, the future? They're an amazing organization. So what's the future for, you know, Innovation Center? What's kind of the long-term goal and everything? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, this uh, massive push for workforce development and to try to build this industry in the state, attract companies here, whether they're high-level groups like Microsoft or startups and, uh, not only match that workforce with um, uh, the university structure uh, and the community college structure, but also keep that pipeline coming from K through 12, all these great STEM kids that are part of that, keep them in state, have them participate in their school's program, both uh, uh, the, the collegiate esports teams competitively and the programming uh, academically, and then settle in the community, build businesses Keep following your passion and, and let's make New Jersey the number one esports state in the country. I mean, that's the goal. Well, I'm with it as a New Jersey resident myself. It definitely, you know, New York, the East Coast, we're really lag, lagging behind. You know, LA is really showing us where it's about and Texas and Orlando. So, you know, happy to see that New Jersey is really gung ho on trying to make this a hub here. We'll see. We'll see what those other states can can do. Here's the thing, Justin. They're not located near four-hour drive of 75% of the East Coast population, which is the richest in human history. We are. So, you know, they don't have 17,000 hotel rooms on the beach and nine months out of the year, uh, a, a tenth of the cost. We do. So we're in a position to hold way better events, way more close space uh, that reach way more people. And I respect California, but, uh, you know, like whatever, that's that's the West Coast and in yeah, Texas, exactly. the South. You know, I'm I'm worried about I'm more worried about Georgia and the incredible work they're Atlanta. doing over there because that's mm-hmm. the state that really gets it uh, about how to put the uh, uh, put the whole package together with film, television, industry, and what have you. So I, I follow I follow more of an example of trying to copy uh, and replicate what Georgia's doing than than California or Texas um, because again, those are regional hubs that I don't think will go away. And there's room for all of us, you know? Awesome. Well, I'd like to try to end each episode with my three questions. So what's your Go favorite game to watch? Um, in terms of regu- traditional sports or esports? Esports. That's an interesting question. I, th- I find myself more and more into Rocket League. I, I think because of my, my Stockton affiliation, I, I just I really enjoyed watching Rocket League and learning the nuances. I'm also awful at it. Terrible. It's so, hard. I mean, I've tried to watch I'm, it. It's I'm hard. Awful. So, like, I appreciate it even more because, like, oh, this is not something I can just pick up and participate in. I stink. 
<laughs> so what's your so. favorite game to play? Um, okay, so if I had to choose one, I'm going to go with FIFA. I, I, I love FIFA. I still love Madden. So it's hard for me to not say Madden because that was my first love. But being a soccer team owner, football team owner, um, just FIFA for me is is uh, is still the most relaxing experience that I could have screaming at an opponent that I don't know online about a digital player of mine not getting over in time to stop his shot. Right. The, uh, and who's your favorite video game character? Oh, okay. Um I like the uh, Assassin's Creed series. Uh, I've played uh, Assassin's Creed, um, the the, uh, uh, the 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 Grecian version of Ancient Greece, uh, which is during the Peloponnesian War, and then the uh, Egyptian version. So uh, I forgot what the main character of Assassin's Creed's name is uh, for for the Greek version, but uh, I'll go with him. Awesome. Whatever so his thank name you is. so much for joining us. This is amazing. Um, so tell everybody where they can find out what you know you guys are working on there and trying to connect. Absolutely. All of our social uh, can be accessed through the main website, which is esportsnj.org or for the gamers, eic.gg. Um, I could be reached in Andrew at eic.gg if you want to get in touch with me about something specific. Um, our social is uh, usually the same. It's like eicac or eicnj. But all of it can go through our main website, and we have uh, TikTok and LinkedIn and all that fun stuff. Uh, shout out to our incredible social media director, uh, Lady uh, Milady Confetti, who's a great streamer, but she handles our social media as well. And uh, I don't want to give her a real name because she might not want that. So we're just going to go with her handle. Amazing. So thank you again, and everyone make sure to check it out. And if you're in the area, you should see what they're working on. And make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q. And check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes and YouTubes for the video. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.